Kia ora. welcome to Cinema in Context as we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name's Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. My name's William Chen. And I'm Max Tarrant. And today we're talking about two films. We're talking about Zootopia, which came out this year, and The Lion King, which came out back in 1994. Which is funny, I realise that Once a Warriors also came out in 1994, so we seem to be on a bit of a trend with discussing films that came out 22 years apart. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the connection here is Disney Animation Studios. Um, also, it's, they're both films that deal with a wide array of anthropomorphic animals, animals that act like humans walking on two feet and various things. Okay, uh, let, let's begin. Um, what, one of the, the, the highlights of Zootopia for me was just how, how good the world building was, um, especially how we get to see the world through uh, the main character's eyes, uh, main character being Judy Hopps, who's a little bunny from the sticks. Um, and then seeing just the expanse of, of the world and the different biomes, um, it was really, really fantastic. Mm. Um, and all of the countless man-hours of, of design work that went into each and every frame was really, really amazing to me. I agree. I took a four-year-old to see it, and um, it was her second only ever cinema experience, the first having apparently gone appallingly, and she had to leave in terror. Um, and I had anticipated, exactly as you say, that in that train ride that Judy takes in through Zootopia, I was looking forward to that, and sure enough, this four-year-old audibly, wow, as, the, as the, the scene unfolded, and I thought, that's exactly the kind of response I, I would have had. Like we're talking in the middle of a movie. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That was exactly the point I was going to come up with as well. The world building, the city is the most amazing technical aspect of this film, I think. Um, and it's only really since Big Hero 6 that I think we've had the kind mm. of capabilities um, technically with the animation to build these cities that are so immersive. Um, and I just found that really amazing. Also, another scene that I found kind of interesting along similar lines in terms of technical capacity, um, was the last scene. Not hugely important that it's in a... Um, just as the credits come up, it's in a big uh, kind of rave. Um, like in an, in an arena, in a concert? Yes, mm -hmm. a big club or something like that. And there's just so many... There's just thousands of people in there. And I felt, thought to myself that the kind of point of comparison recent to this would be probably like Lord of the Rings, where they have the battle scenes, and you've got hundreds of thousands of people battling and it looks kind of quite terrible and I remember it being quite a big deal at the time that they had created thousands of people that were fighting mm -hmm. and in this finally uh, when we get to Zootopia we've, I feel like we have the capacity uh, technically to produce that scene properly mm. like with thousands of people and make it look good yeah I agree I, I, I also had the world building as my technical technical moment because I, I, I'm the same I wanted to go there I really wanted mm. to go to Zootopia yeah. And it reminded me of the same feeling I had uh, when, I, when I watched the start of Jurassic World last year. And it was last year? It was last year. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's such a cool park. I really want to go there. Um, and so I loved hearing that about the four-year-old. Mm. Part of the, the joy of the worlds that they'd built in Zootopia, particularly, um, uh, what do they call it, Precinct 1 though, the main, the central mm -hmm. city of course, is when the train pulls up and there's the large door for the giraffe and there's the medium sized door for the hippo mm -hmm. and there's the little door for the little creatures coming out, which of course will go right over the heads of the four year olds in the audience, mm -hmm. but there's something enormously satisfying about the, the level of detail that the uh, creators of Zootopia um, the film and the city went to to create this world that seemed really plausible and inclusive yeah. and all that. And I think there was so much delight to be had mm. from that, wasn't there? 
A lot of jokes, a lot of gags. Yeah. I, I was laughing the whole time um, mm-hmm. with a friend of mine and just, just we were spotting things separately. So I would laugh and I think a couple of people might have laughed and then she would laugh and so there was a lot of visual gags, things like that, like the lemmings coming out and, and yes, yes. following yes. each other. Yes, coming out ice blocks. <laughs> for, for me, it's an interesting, so this is a perfect segue because for me the technical aspect, and this is where the English teacher comes out, wasn't so much the technological side of things, but if you look at the, the I guess in English terms we would agree that the, the ideas or the construction of the narrative and whatnot still counts as a technical aspect, um, yeah. is this whole thing that I'm captivated by called double address. And you've just alluded to it already, Jeremy, this notion that all children's books and all films nowadays have this sort of double layer to them, like Shakespeare was doing 400 or so years ago, whereby the adult audience gets to acknowledge the visual gags, like um, the, the particular scene where one of the, the, the cops is sent off to go undercover and you see the wolf just pull the sheep's clothing costume over him. And the, the brilliance of nobody having to say, oh, there's a wolf in sheep's clothing, yeah. but that the adults in the audience um, who are familiar with such sort of idioms will, will notice that and have a chuckle. Um, and the, the wonderful scene of the uh, police captain saying, I think it's important that we acknowledge the elephant in the room. And suddenly pans over to this big elephant and they go, happy birthday, Agnes, or whatever the elephant's name is, you know. So, and yet the little kids don't need to be getting that um, because there's so much else there for them. You know, as we say, you know, reading the lines, whereas the reading between the lines or beyond the lines for the adults was so so satisfying, you know, mm-hmm. very slow people working in government departments and, and uh, you know, and all that sort of thing. Um, whereas for kids, it's a creature speaking very, very slowly, and that's funny too, mm-hmm. but in its separate way. So for me, this double address thing, which apparently is, um, is imperative uh, in all sort of children's literature, and you can understand, if it's the parents who are paying to go to the Bloomin' movies, then there's got to be something in it for the older crowd, doesn't there? Mm. Yeah. Then that, that was the technical aspect for me that, that I thought was just brilliant in Zootopia and Big Hero 6, actually, as you say. On that note, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you that double address is so satisfying. And when it's done in a way that's true to the story and it's, it's sincere to what's actually happening in the story, it works really well. Mm. I guess my, I did have one criticism of the film, and it's a small one, uh, but it's the parody that was in the film of The Godfather. Oh, I thought that was really just cheap. Just going to mention that. Mm. It was really cheap, and, and it's one of the reasons why... Cheap I, and too obvious, you mean, like? Yeah, yeah. I, think, mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's a cheap trick. I think it's really easy to do parody, mm. and Pixar don't do it, and I always love that when you look at a Pixar film compared to, say, a DreamWorks animation film, mm-hmm. which the first one being Shrek, or the first <clears throat> computer-generated one being Shrek, which that whole film was about parody, which it worked. Yes. But then every subsequent... DreamWorks picture, picture always has that kind of parody, mm-hmm. pop culture references. The in-jokes. The in-jokes. And I thought that, yeah, I thought Zootopia, it didn't, it didn't rely on that, but there was that Godfather parody that I was like, oh, really? I've seen right. this a hundred times, and it's, it's not, I don't find it that funny. I, I was already laughing when I saw the design of, of the house, because yes. I got straight away that it was a Godfather. Yeah. But then they really went they right did, on the nose. They did, yeah. And of course, that goes over the heads of the four-year-old that yes. I was with, because mm. she hasn't, you know thankfully, mm-hmm. yet seen The Godfather, although mm-hmm. it's, in her, it's in her future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, That's a good yeah, point, that for the d- double address, it kind of fails on both parts, because it goes over the heads of the young people, but for the el- elder people it's too simple, so it's kind of not quite on either of those lines. Mm. 
Yeah, it is. It is quite hard to get a good joke that works on every level. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I was also going to bring up the Godfather thing. Um, for me, it, I, I don't mind it that much um, because it was still so, it was funny because they had mm. funny voices mm. and you know the little um, the tiny little wedding and how they play with scale and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she has a New York kind of accent. Yes, so, or, or even Joyce, yeah. like Mar- Marlon Brando, you know. Mm. So yeah, it was nice. Yeah. To, yeah, but yeah. But that really stuck out like a sore thumb. That and also later on there's a joke with um, bootleg DVDs mm. which just for me landed with a thud. Oh really? My goodness. Oh. It was that felt like something straight out of Dream, uh, Dreamworks movie. Right. Or like a really mad, uh, bad Mel Brooks joke. Right, uh, right. Yeah, it was it was fleeting though. It was, I mean, it was. I almost Can wanted. You... Oh, you want to remember what it was? Yes. So um, one of the um, I don't remember what kind of animal, but um, obviously a predator. It a weasel, they were weasel. Evil. Yeah, it was a weasel. weasel. Is selling yeah. knockoff. The, yeah, bootleg DVDs. And they're all Disney animations. They're Disney yeah. animations, but instead of Tangled, there's Wrangled. Um, and and Wreck It Ralph is was Wreck It Rhino. Right, that's yeah. right. And so it's big a, hero it, pig. No, yeah. big. Big hero pig, was it? And it's a very quick visual gag. It's just a tiny little pan across his table of DVDs. And I actually, on because uh, I've seen, I saw Zootopia a second time, and I was like, oh, I want to go back. I want to capture yes. what all of those were. But it was, you know, it was fleeting. And um, but that's interesting that it that for you, William, it, it fell with a thud. Yeah. As you're saying. Why do you think it fell fell with a thud? It, it just it felt like, and this is something I'll bring up in part three about the context of the movie. I felt really contemporary that uh, that I, I think the majority of Disney movies in their animated canon mm. uh, they stand by themselves regardless of the decade you watch them. Right. And for me, Zootopia was it was uh, kind of an odd duck. Like it. Mm. You mean it's so now? Yes, that it is. In, so in twenty-two years' mm. time, mm-hmm. it'll feel horribly dated. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, with everyone on their cell phones sure. all the time, and oh, the and carrot the... icon on the yes, back of the yes, iPhone right. and everything. Mm. But you see, I love that, mm. and I loved all of those contemporary uh, throw. Well, they're not throwbacks, are they? Because they're throwing back to right now. <laughs> but um, that's and that. But that's so interesting. Yeah. And when we get on to talking about Lion King, see, twenty-two years on, Lion King doesn't work for me. At all, really? we'll get to that. Ah, not yeah. At all, on any <laughs> level, but it'll. But you make such a good point, William, about what will, or will we even be bothering to watch Zootopia in twenty two year, in twenty two mm. years time? It feels like perhaps the reason that it has so much contemporary influence or so many contemporary little nuggets is probably because the issue of the film is so to this moment. Yes, so kind yeah. of I agree. By the minute, where we're drawing exactly on what's going on politically in this kind of last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that might be one of the reasons. But it doesn't, it doesn't excuse it. But. Well, I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. It's just a little weird for Disney to be doing mm-hmm. this when, mm-hmm. you know, 50 movies in, maybe there's just a handful, and maybe The Jungle Book is a little dated, and maybe One of One Dalmatians. Yeah. But, you know, you really have to look through their catalogue to see, okay, this is much more contemporary than Timeless. Um, again, not necessarily a bad thing, but just a but an odd, interesting odd point. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I it's wonder what strange strategic decision. From that's Disney. right. I wonder what's influencing them. Therefore, because I mean, back in the day, Disney was probably well, they they would have been the monopoly, wouldn't they? Oh yeah. Mm. Um, or the o- oligopoly. What's the one for? There's only one of them anyway. You know, they <laughs> yeah. would, that was it. And yeah. so, as you say, they're up against Pixar and DreamWorks, who are mm-hmm. very very powerhouses. Absolutely, in terms of competition. So that's very interesting in terms of strategy. And as you say, maybe that comes on to part three of our yeah. discussion. Well, Pixar and Disney. 
are both Disney, and they're both managed by the same people. Oh. That's a recent thing. It's only happened in the last mm-hmm. 10 years. Um, but yeah, so they, they, but they are very careful. So John Lasseter, who kind of was one of the key people creating Pixar, he is now managing Disney, Disney Animation Studios. But they're very careful about being clear about those brands mm-hmm. and what each of them stand for. Yeah, so um, a bit like when Miramax was the in, Miramax was the independent sort of movie making right. of whoever it was. I don't know. It was Disney. Oh, of Disney, yeah. right? Okay, and so. Mm. So even within the big studios, they'd have like their indie arm, wouldn't they, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing, and being quite careful to maintain that distinction. So that's interesting, isn't it, to sort of now own the one of the competition and to sort of maintain them as competition, yes. but but with that sort of big gloved hand over the yeah. top of them that anything could change. Yeah, interesting. There's a really good book about it, um, Creativity Inc. Have, have you read Creativity Inc.? Mm-mm. Oh, it's one of the best books you will read if you're interested in management, creativity, whatever, but it's um, Ed Catmull, who him and John Lasseter created Pixar with Steve Jobs, and it goes right back to the 70s from when he pretty much created computer generation. Mm. Um, I want to say single-handedly as a pun, because the first thing he did was a single hand that everybody was amazed by. Mm. Um, But anyways, he kind of was one of these key people, and he maps the journey, maps the creation of Pixar, and I kind of was really good just reading about how they create a culture of creativity. Yeah. And then you get to the last third, I'm thinking, what the heck else is this book going to be? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is the acquisition of um, Pixar by Disney, and then they bring them on to look after Disney Animation Studios, and just how the whole studio is a real mess of bureaucracy, creativity is being squashed, all these artists that came to work at Disney Animation Studios are all just being stepped on, and none of their films are successful. Right. And they came in and they kind of reshuffled things around and empowered those creatives to do what they're doing, and that's when you got Bolt and Tangled, and then from then you had like, Frozen... Big Hero 6, and now... Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph yeah, yeah. and Zootopia. So. And what was yeah. before then? What were the films that were under the people that were getting stifled? Home on the Range, Brother Bear. Yeah. Just terrible oh. films. There was, there was some yeah. films that were kind of good. Chicken Little, they, yikes. Yeah. Oh, I don't know these at all. <laughs> um, but there was like Treasure Planet, Emperor's oh, okay. um, New Groove, at the sort of start of the 2000s, which, which are really cool movies, but they yeah. just did not do any business. So who was doing Aladdin and Mulan and all those? DreamWorks? Oh, no, yeah. that was Disney. That was Disney. Yeah. Oh. DreamWorks came around with Prince of Egypt in, I want to say, 98 or 99. But Mulan was DreamWorks. Oh, no, no, no. no that was Disney. Disney. Oh. Yeah. They had their big animation renaissance, um, starting with Little Mermaid, uh, going all the way through around Tarzan, mm-hmm. uh, and then that was the rise of computer animation, mm-hmm. um, and then that was the, the big deal. Everyone went to see those, and no one went to see hand-drawn stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, really well, maybe this is a nice segue, because I, I would argue that Lion King is the end of the... <laughs> it's kind of all this, this, all this the, the beginning peak. of the end. It's yeah. the peak of that, of that renaissance. It started with Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and then the Lion King. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's probably worth mentioning that, I don't know if you want to tell it yourself, but... What The Lion King feels like now? No, that, oh. that you hadn't seen it until this morning. I know, isn't that weird? <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, that's right. And talk about leaving all my swap till the last minute as well. Mm. I finished it 20 minutes before I had to come here. <laughs> um, so, The Lion King. All I knew about The Lion King was that a couple of years ago in my year 13, seventh form English class, it was, there was the burliest boy in the class and it was his favourite film of all time. And I was like, oh, that's curious. Hmm. And obviously I knew some of the songs, the Elton John songs. And I knew, I didn't know it was Hans Zimmer's score, but I knew... I didn't know that either until I 
just rewatched it the other day. Right, and it's a fabulous score actually. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that till I watched it today. But what I did know was a portion of the score that uses that that ancient, ancient, and I mean ancient, like way back to um, Gregorian chant times. There's a piece of music called the Deus Irae, which goes dun 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 dun, which you realise is in every blimmin' film at the dramatic moment of every film you've ever seen because, of course, it's out of copyright by a considerable margin and uh, anyone can use it. And and it happens in one of the key scenes in The Lion King where um, the big guy, the dead big lion guy came. Right, him <laughs> dies. Um, see, my, my, so my lack of enchantment with The Lion King, I'm afraid... Uh, I, uh, yeah, that's all I knew about it, and I have to say, it, 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 it didn't enchant or engage me today. Now, part of it, obviously, is the animation is never going to look incredible, and I do understand that 22 years ago, it was groundbreaking. Uh, and obviously, that's not going to be the, the case now, particularly uh, in light of Zootopia. But narratively... Um, it didn't have any of that clever double address business going on. It was. It, it seemed. I mean, I was searching for for anything like that, but mm-hmm. it just seemed very straightforward. A revenge story. Apparently, it derives from apparently um, Hamlet mm-hmm. and like um, Joseph. Is it Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat? The, the biblical stories of Joseph and. I, I would say a little bit from Macbeth as well. Um, right. Just with the the evil king usurping his brother. Right. And just running the kingdom into the ground. So timeless stories. Mm. Um, and from, it's actually from a whole of African uh, <clears throat> tribal stories. and Yeah, timeless. I mean, it's, it's an archetype, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but, but, but t- so timeless, great. But, and an archetype, great. But as you just said before, Max, the thing with Zootopia is that it's between the lines message is all about the fact that we shouldn't be judging people on, on, on their appearances, we shouldn't be making assumptions based on the experiences we've had with different types of people, predator and prey can live together, blah blah blah, and there wasn't anything uh, less than superficial for me at least, and I'm very happy to, happy to be proven wrong, uh, in The Lion King, and so it didn't really grab me and when we get on to talking about the, the way the anthropomorphizing is different Again, for me, Lion King, not remotely interested, whereas Zootopia, I loved the anthropomorphization uh, of, those, of those little creatures. So, yeah, um, not, not impressed. And yet, it, you know, some people loved the Lion King, didn't mm, they? And they grew yeah. up with it. And so, that, yeah, tell me about that. Well, uh, I, I'm kind of uh, of two minds about The Lion King. Uh, on one hand, uh, it came at a very seminal time of my childhood where I, I remember the first time I went to see it. I remember crying when you know, the bad things happen, mm. just squeeing in joy when the good things happen. Mm. Um, and then as you know, 20, 20 something years on, looking back, uh, I think there's a lot to like about the movie. Uh, I agree with you, Jeremy, that it kind of re- represents the peak of the Disney Renaissance. And then mm. afterwards, I mean, it's followed immediately by Pocahontas, which is a problematic you know, movie on its own. Yeah. Um, and then everything else, while good, like I really enjoyed Tarzan and Empress New Groove is fantastic. It just never achieved what the first couple of movies did. Um, so first of all, I, like I, I want to kind of talk about the animation. I, I think uh, personally that Lion King is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hands down just such a good demonstration of, of what the the best you could do with the techniques 
at that time. And it was not produce. CGI, obviously. It was hand-drawn. Uh, stuff. It was, the, it was uh, they used a system called CAPS, which is, I think, computer, um, like computer animation program system, mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. or production system, um, where instead of uh, hand-drawing cells and then painting the back of cells using, you know, paint, mm. um, they could basically transfer pencil sketches immediately onto the computer mm-hmm. and then fill the sketches with computer uh, with digital ink right and so by doing so uh, made much easier productions and you could have complex gradients you could have a lot of layering of objects yes and huge objects which were not achievable just because of how small you could you know paint with your hands mm. um and so for example the the opening of the lion king it's just such an amazing technical showcase for all of that there's this funny faux cinematic change in focus where there's a herd of zebra walking underneath and then there's the change in the virtual camera which is all hand-drawn and you see the little leaf cutter ants like in the foreground it's Mm, just it's such a cool visual trick yeah that would be impossible even five years earlier uh, when they were working on like basil the great mouse detective or little mermaid right um so i think technically it's it just it blows me away every time i watch it the character animation the special effects all of that stuff is awesome music is pretty good and then the story just uh, it kind of falls flat. Right, yeah. right. I, I, yeah. I totally agree with you, William. Because I, I, as a kid, I, I remember seeing The Lion King. I remember crying when Mufasa dies. I actually cried again when I watched it. Mm. And I wasn't like totally sold on the film, but I just, I think, I think remembering back to mm. the pain of that. It was never my favourite Disney film as a kid. Because I think I was a little, I was getting a little bit older. Um, you know, Disney films were sort of becoming a little bit childish for me. But yeah, I still, I still remember very clearly. But beautiful to look at. Animation, the, the expanse, the vistas, I really enjoyed. Um, I was really surprised when I was re-watching it how disjointed the, the story is. And, yeah, I, and, yeah. and characters that I know and love, like Timon and Pumbaa, um, Rafiki, they don't really come into the film until really late in the game. And, I, and it, yeah, it's funny. It, and the pacing just goes way out of whack when yeah. they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the end of the film felt... I just thought the film was... I just thought the film didn't date that badly until the mm-hmm. end of the film when he has that confrontation with Scar. It just was like, oh gosh, they really didn't know how to wrap this one up because he's sort of dangling off a cliff, Simba is, and then Scar tells him his little secret. Yeah. And then he has this newfound strength and he jumps back. <laughs> I just kind of... And there's a slow motion fight between them. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, the slow motion fight was the only thing that was remotely interesting to me because I thought, <laughs> how would this have seemed back in the day? Mm, but of course, yeah. that whole... I mean, if you think... I know we're getting on to characters a bit later, but if you think about the construction of it, you've got your, you've got your sidekicks, which until... Well, certainly in Zootopia, there are no mini mm-hmm. funny sidekick mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. people. But until relatively recently, even in Kung Fu Panda and whatnot, you've, you've got your little sidekicky types, haven't you? Your, whoever your, your funniest comedian is at the time. And yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, is this Rowan Atkinson's voice? Yeah. Oh my gosh, remember when he was huge? It's, like, it's Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nathan Lane. Exactly. Yeah. And so all these people who are very, as you would say, William, very, very contemporary, very of their time. Um, but, but, but in terms of its construction, back in the day, it would have been fine to dangle the protagonist off the cliff and then for him to have this extra whatever sort of yeah. burst of... Because that was what we were used to seeing. It's very romantic, isn't it? I mean, it's a very melodramatic story, and, and it works. I think it works within that. Um, but when you watch it in comparison to Zootopia, 
which is very contemporary. And I, I, I'm of the opinion, rightly so, and it it's, makes it a really nice change from yeah, what, we, what we used to have. Mm, mm. <laughs> I think you absolutely nailed, William, the technical aspect of the film. I was looking at it and I was struggling to kind of figure out what I liked technically about it because it's, you know, for me watching it now, quite old. Mm. And so I'm trying to figure out what was pushing the boundaries at that time. So it's nice to have your knowledge mm. um, pushing in there. Um, in terms of um, the film narrative, you've got... It's, it's, it's completely so much more romanticised. It's a, it's a more mythical story. The animals that we can think of as humans are only doing so to play out an animal narrative, whereas Zootopia is in a city, it is humans, we're right there with them, and that is definitely a change of time. You know, yeah. that is, We're dealing with issues now in, in cartoons that are human issues, uh, rather than issues that are the, worldwide. Or rather like, than animal issues. Circ yeah, circle yeah. of life, things like that. Um, so how did I find it going back to it? Um, yeah, I, I found it exciting, but um, de definitely didn't hit me like it did when I was a young child. Mm. I think it's just those songs a lot of the time that, for me, they were actually quite a big deal. Oh, I love that. At the time. Well, now. Well, no, no, no. Now yeah. it's, that's, that's, what's, that's what's held on to it for me. Oh, wait, you like years. the songs Yeah. Now. Well, oh, I don't know if I like this. It's too simple a word. I hated the music. I love the soundtrack. The Can You Feel the Love Tonight? My, oh. I got goosebumps because I couldn't help it because it was familiar. And that's, yeah. that's what is that? Biology happening, right? Yeah. That's not love. <laughs> but um, but no, but otherwise, those jokey, jokey, stupid songs, I couldn't have cared less. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't care Man, less. Pumba's song is horrible. But, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> but it's so catchy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. oh, Hakuna Matata. Yeah. Hakuna yeah. Matata. He's no worries. Yeah. You See, I, I don't know. I guess that's like the kid thing, right? Because I, mean, I, I love those. Yeah. I mean, it's Elton John. He did all the yeah, know, yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, Tim Rice. Don't forget Tim Rice. Tim Rice. Yes, Tim Rice. Tim Rice. I, I the like the, um, the uh, good old cassette tape for Lion King. The one in yellow with the tribal markings on it. Yeah. And that is worn out, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And look, to be fair, I still sing all the songs from Annie, the original Annie musical, and they're always, they, they will always be the best songs in the world, and that's the best musical. So, I mean, I completely understand if I yeah. had listened to the yeah. Lion yeah, King yeah. back in 94, or preferably before then, when I was even younger and more uh, gullible, um, <laughs> that they might be charming. But, but now, I'm, they just feel a bit funny. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Okay. The technical thing that I, and another one that I kind of brought out was what they call pathetic fallacies. So where the world reflects how the characters are feeling. And so oh. I never noticed it as a kid, but um, you have, you know, when Scar sings his be prepared scene, the volcano starts erupting and mm. pushing bits of rock up to lift him, the sort of hierarchy of hyenas and Scar. And then you've also got, um, you know, I just can't wait to be king, with, which I never noticed it as a kid, that the whole colour scheme changes. Yeah. And it's, even the designs of the animals change. Everything is super simplified and geometric. Mm. Um, and it just, it's incredible, mm. like, just to look at and to, wow. Yeah. I, I read that they originally wanted to illustrate the film based on African uh, tribal illustrations. And, mm. I'm one, and, and they just found that it was not as interesting as doing that more majestic, you know, expansive kind of illustration style. But I wonder if that's the, the kind of carryover of that, that they had some ideas for that sequence. And they're like, well, let's put it in this, mm. this child dream sequence or whatever it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, I found that really interesting. And also the other one is at the end of the film where they're having the fight and the lightning strikes and everything sort of bursts into flames. Mm. And it's very dramatic. It's that whole kind of romantic, epic feel that this film is, I guess, trying to capture. 
Uh, but yeah, as a thing, as a kid, you never you never question those things. They just things just happen, and you absorb the imagery obviously as a child, don't you? And that's mm. how it's meant to be. When mm. they're not, our children aren't supposed to be trained to go. Oh, look! I see. Yeah. It's all gone dark yeah. because he's an evil character. <laughs> that you're, that's just part of the absorption. Yes. And for those of us, particularly who have become teachers and who are now trained to notice these sorts of things all the time. Um, there's a satisfaction in noticing them all, isn't there? But it certainly it brings you out of yeah. It brings you out of the experience. Was that was was Lion King? You, you you mentioned before that you didn't think there was any of that nice double address. There was one thing that I noticed, and this is where Rowan Atkinson's character, what's his name, Zazu, Zazu, Zazu is saying, <laughs> "Oi, you want to get you want to watch out for Jeremy Irons." I only know them by their yeah, by their yeah. actors' names. <laughs> yeah. You want to watch out for Jeremy Irons, um, perhaps. And he said something like, "He'd make a nice throw rug." And I thought to myself, now this is interesting, because as you mentioned before, Max, Lion King is all about animals operating in an animal, animal universe. Hmm. They're not jumping into little motorized vehicles or wearing clothes uh, or living in a city. And it was the one thing, and I don't know what the term is, it's not, it's not um, uh, an anachronistic, but there must be a term for when something is referenced in a world that actually isn't of right. its world, if you know what I mean. Right. They wouldn't know what throw rugs are. It was purely there to connect with a, a knowing audience. And it was a very quick line and it wasn't that hilarious. But the point is it was an interesting choice scripturally. scripturally. Um, and that was the only one that I noticed because all the other jokes... Well, there's, there's um, Nathan Lane saying, what do you want me to do, dress and drag and yeah. dance the hula? Oh, uh, which, right. <laughs> which I know that was improvised. And, and they encouraged, like I know with Robin Williams and Aladdin, most of his part is improvised. Right. And there's all of those like Jack Nicholson references. And, yeah. and I think it's the same thing. And I wonder if it is because they have been improvising Interesting that Nathan Lane line because what that reminds me of is, um, and again, I don't know the character's name. Is it Baloo in the Jungle Book? Mm -hmm. Because even though he doesn't dress in drag, doesn't he? Oh, dance he, he the does hula dress in drag and dance the yeah. hula. Mm. So maybe it's actually a reference to that rather than the birdcage, which I presume is what you're meaning, because that's the, the film that Nathan Lane would have been in around the time. For the first time, um, I wasn't referring to that, but I was just referring to the fact that he was improvising something. But yeah, quite possibly, but maybe he was this referencing... Is the thing. Was he referencing the oh, content? Oh, no, it came out in 95, I'm pretty sure. What, the Birdcage? Bird cage. I'm pretty sure it came out the year after. But maybe he was already filming it, or who knows? You know, <laughs> yeah. this is the... So this is... It is interesting, though, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so all I noticed, I'm saying, is the throw rug line, which isn't in keeping mm. you, you do with know their universe. In, in Hercules... Did you know this? In Hercules, which I love Hercules, the film. It's, a, it's another Disney animated film, which they made yeah, afterwards. Yeah. There is a scene where... Uh, a lion that is is scar. It is scar. Is a throw rug getting beaten oh. in ancient Greece. Right. Uh. So they they pick that up and then right. have a cameo. Have a have a what do you want to call it? Um, what is a cameo? Isn't it? A little cameo yeah. in, in that film. And that that's you see. I quite enjoy those in jokes between or within franchises mm. or whatever it might be. Did you pick up the Let It Go joke in Zootopia? Yes, yes. The second yeah. time I watched it. Yeah, yeah I did yeah. the first time. And, uh, and the second, I was the only person laughing in the cinema. <laughs> but I'm used to that. Um, yeah, I thought that was great because that's their own film, <laughs> of mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. See, that's what I wanted to check about the, um, the bootleg DVDs. Were they all Disney films? They yes. were, and in including the future films. Yes. Yeah. Was right. it Moana instead of Moana? Uh, yeah, and then Gigantic, they, uh, Giraffic, I think. Right, was the, and uh, so they wouldn't have dared, obviously, to do um, someone else's films. They, they could only like send mm. up their own films. Although right? I, I think that was kind of the joke. Um, yeah. And, oh, look at us. You yeah. Know, we're, we're hip. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, and, and promoting it. What, what year did yeah. uh, Bootcage come out? So Nathan Lane 
um, was in the birdcage. Which, in by the way, was 1996. Five years later. So, but 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 dra- he was the drag queen companion. Um, but the, but so it could have been a Jungle Book throwback, or it could have been mm. a birdcage throw forward, or it could just have been Nathan Lane riffing yeah. on birdcage. Have you have you seen birdcage? Yes. Oh, I, that was such a good film. Mm. Mm. I was blown away by how good it was. And it's not dated. Who yeah. made that? That's awesome. Well, it's so of the. Was that not Nichols? Yeah, it was Mike Nichols. Yeah. And I heard, I read a piece of trivia that Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, there are two films that if he starts watching halfway through, he'll watch right till the end. Yeah. And Birdcage is one it's of them. one that he can't put down. And Shining is the other one. Right. Yeah, Rob, I, Robin Williams. I mean, I, I really like uh, La, La Cage au Folle as well. Mm-hmm. And I think Birdcage really holds up as well as a remake of that. Like, yes. Gotcha. Both of them are really, really good. Yeah. And the musical is awesome as well. Yeah. Oh, I don't know the musical. Yeah. Hey, so there's a difference between Zootopia and... Um, the one I don't like, The Lion King, <laughs> um, is I, I hadn't quite appreciated, should have, that The Lion King is, is blatantly a musical, and that's very of its era. Yes. Because Zootopia has the one song, the Shakira song, which is marvellous as they're driving into Zootopia, and it's marvellous throughout the film, and it's marvellous in the closing credits. But at least there's only the one that you need to have on your brain. Um, so th- that must be a change in, uh, in, in focus mm. or... Strategy, if you will. How? Well, it's coming back, isn't it, with Frozen? And I think Moana is a musical. Oh, is it? I don't know. Oh, it's going to be interesting. Mm. But Frozen. Um... Were there heaps of songs in Frozen? I can only think of that one <laughs> song. But are there heaps? There were, yeah, there were five. A oh, right, yeah. okay. Some weren't so good, some were pretty good. Yeah. I wasn't um, a huge fan of Frozen. I could appreciate what I was doing. Yeah, particularly with female representation. But actually, I actually saw in that, that um, Sarah, you posted um, that grid of the Disney animation films and how much of the dialogue is mm. given to, to given to men. And Frozen was all right on that. On that. What do you mean? Still had? It was still about quite know, a lot of male dialogue. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But maybe Compared more to when... Inside Out, which was like ninety six percent or something. Right, like but that, but of course the tricky thing with that. Um, that article, well, not the article itself is completely fine, but obviously I suppose with that analysis is that the, that women may have been on screen for more than 50% of the time in Frozen, but not necessarily saying lines. That's the tricky part, isn't it, in that analysis? But is that any better? Yeah, yeah, totally, don't know. Good point. Don't know, don't like Frozen either. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, I feel I should come clean. I don't really, I'm not like a huge animal lover and I don't really enjoy story. Like I like animals, don't get me wrong, and I would never intentionally harm any. But I don't really enjoy stories that are all about animals being animals. And Zootopia, I realised, is all about animals, but it's about animals being quite human. Yeah. And they wear clothes. And one of the most delightful scenes for me is where they go into the nat- naturist oh, colony and, they, and they're appalled because of all these animals <laughs> oh, who are naked. So brilliant. And I it's so brilliant. Drink when that's um, and yet, of course, the Jungle Book. Well, and, and actually, there's a Freudian slip because I didn't like the latest Jungle Book at all. Same sort of thing. It's animals being animals, but talking like you know human voices yeah, with human lip sync and everything. Yes, um, yeah. but no. I, so that's my own personal prejudice, and I can't. I don't really enjoy that. Do you know why? Are you telling me? No. Do I? Do I know why? I wish I knew why. Do you know why? Yeah. Because I've got something I can tell you. Stem from my childhood. I can give you. I don't know. I don't know why. 
I don't know. But you know, I didn't like the children's voices in The Lion King. Mm. With their horrible little, their horrible little American oh, voices. Jonathan Taylor Thomas' Simba is so whiny. That's right, JTT. <laughs> and all the children, the children animals in the Jungle Book, the new Jungle mm -hmm. Book, sound exactly the same and just as annoying. <laughs> mm. We don't have any stupid children voices in Zootopia. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Ding! Yeah. Another point. <laughs> <laughs> to lead on to the, the, the next bit with mm. characters as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I can totally understand why Sky would want to kill Simba. Say, like, my <laughs> daddy's gonna says I'm gonna roll it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and plus Scar is the single best character oh, yeah. in that whole film, hands down. Yeah, um, they should have just called it The Lion King's brother. <laughs> then it would have been a good film. Anyway, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. agree, agree. I was gonna take us back to Zootopia, and let's talk about character. We're talking about Lion King characters. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got written down there that Judy Hopps and Nick Wilde are, are it, really. I mean, there are some great characters around them, but they, you know, they are the film. You're talking about not having any sidekicks, and they carry the film. There's enough in both of those characters to carry the film. And I thought they were both really interesting, mm. well-formed characters. It's a buddy film, really. Mm. It's a buddy mm. flick. And, how and they, they don't fall in love. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I was like, oh, I, don't, I hope they don't do that. Mm. I, I really hope they don't do that, but yeah. That was the only thing I really loved about, um, this is a really random tangent, but Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> this they, is a they, random they tangent. But they didn't fall in love with an, uh, another woman. I was sure it was going to happen. And then it's so satisfying that they're still willing to just go, nah, we're stupid buddies. <laughs> we can't catch the girl. I didn't yeah. mind that film. I knew exactly what I was I know, for some reason for. I didn't mind it Critics. Well. So horrible, it. but it's a joke. Disasters. It's one of those things where it's the same thing with Zoolander 2. It's like, I'm not really sure why they made this though. Like, yeah. there's no reason for this to be made. But, yeah. yeah. For some reason, I'm so much more against the idea of Zoolander 2. I've not seen it, but um, the previews look. It just probably feels like manipulative because it's basically money, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, oh, we yeah. need, to, we need to reboot a franchise if right. one film can constitute one. And yeah. and that's what I didn't feel about with Dumb and Dumber 2. The fact that they didn't get the girl for me felt like, a, like they'd, they'd held on to some kind of vestige of, of um, authenticity. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to hold on to that, mm. that integrity we have. <laughs> So different film, different market, yeah, obviously, Dumb and Dumber 2. But, but I am interested in, in, in why we feel that it's better, a better outcome, if, they, if the boy and the girl don't wind up together at the end or whatever. You know, why is yeah. that? I is think, it just simple cliche? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I think it is. Um, especially in Disney movies, which, oh my goodness. And with um, a female lead. With, with, well, I, I would say they actually yeah. co-leads. Um, no, it's no, Judy's story. Uh, well, yeah. it's... I don't know, I, I would... Maybe you have to disagree with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, given the the history of the project, basically, it was Nick's. Nick was the main character for the longest time until I sent, like, basically a year away from release. Really, complete, six cuts of the film. Yeah, they completely yeah. rewrote really? everything. Um, originally, it was going to be about predators wearing these shock collars, mm. uh, and then uh, that's how the prey could survive with predators around, and he had to come come to terms with that. Um, I, I, I don't know. It felt, it felt to me a lot like um, what's what's another good example where there's there's the original protagonist, but then she needs to get over her kind of prejudices. Yeah, yeah, and, and then it kind of you start to see the secretary, well, 
I guess the sidekick become more of a protagonist as the movie goes along. Right. Um, and so at, by the end, it's about both of them coming to terms with the same thing, um, except both based on their, uh, their very different childhoods mm. and their very different situations and then working together as a team at the mm. end. Um, that was, yeah, I, I thought okay. that was really satisfying in Z Zootopia. Yeah. Mm. Bias. Bias is the big buzzword around that film, mm -hmm. eh? But I mean, I've written down in terms of how the cinema landscape is that it's, I think it's the most important film to come out in a long time. Mm -hmm. And that you're dealing with her bias and that she's a bunny, which yeah. is a metaphor for, for being a woman. And, um, and then, you know, the, the bias, the racial bias, they sold that so well. And I was yeah. so impressed by that. And it's so, uh, I, I was hoping, and it's going to be a little while before I can test the four-year-old to say to her, what do you think the film was really about? <laughs> mm. uh, I tried that, actually, as we came out of the cinema, and she said, it was about a bunny who wanted to be a police officer. I thought, forget it. All right, we won't go for <laughs> the, the, meta, uh, the meta critique just yet, but we'll get there. But... Um, but hopefully, that yeah, the whole yeah. kind of, you can be anything that you want to be. You have to work hard for it. Don't let people stereotype you into a box. Um, don't make judgments about people based on blah, blah, what they look like, what you know, so on and so forth. So many Beverly Hills 90210-ish <laughs> um, messages, and yet all of them so contemporary and on point. And also that you can actually make a difference. Um, yeah. Uh, albeit a small one, but with the parents and how they gradually change their mindset as well. It's, it's wonderful. That's right. Yeah, beautifully done. And it's all nicely packaged up in a bigger theme that we can kind of all um, enjoy. If you're not into the criticizing racism and you're not up with the um, cutting down on sexism, then it's kind of packaged into something that's more global, which is kind of... The, the underdog basically getting over barriers to succeed in life and a job where you weren't supposed to be able to do it yeah nice true not that I Zootopia. identify with those people that <laughs> <laughs> it's a Trojan it's a Trojan horse but you see what so what you know I don't mean to slam good old Lion King but what was the enduring message back in those days for the younger viewer well it's about leadership I was really questioning oh, that when yeah. I was watching it yeah. because I was thinking ultimately this is completely against the message of Zootopia and that you're like know your place yes yeah, yes. That's right. yes that was but I was like part. hang on but is it because I'm just comparing these films if I think about it it's about a young boy wanting to rule rule everything and tell everyone what to do and his dad being like well there's more to it than that mm. and then him having to grow up and mature yeah. and become a leader in, in a way that's takes responsibility he effectively becomes a hippie right he goes yeah. off mm. and like ships all responsibility the puts, yeah, mm. puts everything behind him and goes and lives with um, this this couple and uh, Timon and Pumbaa mm -hmm. and then and has to learn how to reclaim what's rightfully his so I mean I, I had to think about that though mm. so but I was it's, like, it's still a destiny movie where there's a person that was always destined to be the great one yeah. who we identify with yeah. uh, we've got this innate mm. power in us that we just need to open up to um, but he didn't and have to work. Still got your position in, in society, right? But it, but as you, I mean, he's a bit like Prince William in a way. You know, he's born yeah, into totally. it. This is what you're going to yeah. be. Yeah. You could be like Prince Harry and go off nightclubbing for a, while, <laughs> a bit if you want to. But when you come back, this is what we expect yes. of you, and you don't have to prove it. And so it all felt a bit like, well, I don't really feel like this kid's, kids earned it, and I'm not really invested. In it, do you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. It, it is um, a, a very pro-monarchy film. Yeah, especially the the bit where they say, you know, oh, but what about the antelope? Don't we eat the antelope? And then yes. there's some some stupid like, oh, when well, our bodies we yeah. Yeah. dissolve yeah. into the ground, yeah. it's like yeah, that yeah. trickle down, down. <laughs> That's right. 
Um, I did think um, that the lack of female characters in Lion King is worth mentioning. And you've got Nala and Sarabi. Mm-hmm. And they're not really characters. <laughs> Sarabi's not. The only good thing I noticed yeah. is that Nala won the tussles. Um, and I thought, oh, yay, 1994. <laughs> you know, keep it up. But, but then that, but that was it, really, wasn't it? Um, she doesn't really do anything. No. She's just his love interest. Yeah, she but... comes and gets him. But does she? Because Rafiki kind of does it. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh my gosh, the, the movie is so conservative. And I, I think um, every single one of the uh, 90s Disney movies or they basically suffer from the same thing. It's, it's very, very much about romanticism. Mm-hmm. And then the whole like message of the Lion King at the very end is by, by coming to, to his senses and reclaiming his rightful place. It's just, yeah, let's, uh, let's procreate and yeah, we'll settle Everything down and have a heteronormative relationship. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, for, for the 1990s, that was, uh, that was very, very prevalent. Yeah. <laughs> there was a slightly awkward moment towards the end of The Lion King where Jeremy Irons, sorry, Scar, has which, got... By the way, who names their kid Scar? <laughs> I mean, particularly when they've got a scar across their face. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's mean. It's kind yes. of just pushing them in the ground. Um, and uh, he's talking to Rowan Atkinson, who's in the cage, and Rowan Atkinson is singing... Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, which is a Negro spiritual. (laughs) And Scar says, "Oh, could you stop singing that?" And so the um, so the little what is he? A parrot? No, what Uh, is uh, it? Hornbill. Yeah, the hornbill um, launches into "It's a small world after all," and he says, "No, you definitely stop, please. Anything but that." It's another one of those jokes. Which is a nice little a nice little um, joke for the parents who are probably thinking, "Hell yes, you know." (laughs) But I thought, what an odd choice of the the Negro spiritual. I didn't really. That kind of, you know, that sort of slavery sort of... I don't understand why they chose that at all, but then, um, well... Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. No idea. Talking about character, I for, Muf- uh, for Mufasa, for Lion King, I had Mufasa as mm-hmm. a character I thought was worth mentioning. Um, as the lovable dad, and they, they build him up and then chop him down, oh. just like Bambi's mother for, for, the, for the generations before. It's Bambi plus Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, I think it's also worth mentioning Star Wars because I didn't realise as a kid that it was James Earl Jones, yeah. the voice of Darth Vader. And it's so nice to hear him not sort of breathing heavily. But but he does his... say, did you catch the immortal line? You are my son. <laughs> he does. He yeah. says, Simba, you are my son. He doesn't uh, go, I am your father. But he should have. <laughs> he's, the ultimate, he's the ultimate father figure. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, watching Lion King again, that was one of the, the, the things that really jumped out. Man, he... He sounds a lot like Darth Vader, like yeah. just without all the, the voice stuff. He doesn't sound like the HBO guy. He sounds like Darth Vader. Yeah. Which... yeah. <laughs> What's the HBO guy? I don't uh, also, James Earl Jones. Gotcha. Uh, There's the HBO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> I don't know. I struggled in, in both films a little bit to find characters that I really wanted to push for. Um, this, I, I actually found the side characters more interesting in Zootopia. Mm. Um, like who? Like really, all the f- very funny characters—the sloth, the yak, who is the nudist. Yeah, of <laughs> yeah. Um, with all the flies. The, 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 yeah. the fox that you mentioned earlier, um, Gideon started, Gray. Yeah, Gideon yeah. Gray. He's probably my favorite character in Zootopia. I'm he's real sorry, nice. Judy, that I thought of you like that. <laughs> he's great. His yeah. his transformation is our little heartwarming yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but from the Lion King, I don't know. There's that nobody jumps out at me that I was like. 
I find you amazing. Simba's disastrous and <laughs> painful to listen to. Even as an adult, like Matthew Bodrick, he's just so... He's so milk toast. And it's, like, hey, guys. Milk toast is Simba, so right. Why do we identify yeah. with these types of characters? Because <laughs> it does happen a lot. You see them in these kind of weak protagonists yeah. um, in a lot of films. Lord the, of the Rings, Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, what is hang the attraction? On, hang on, hang on. Oh, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I think it's perhaps a... a, a a character that is a void that we can, f- f- yes, can put ourselves yeah. into mm-hmm. because so often the side characters are the most interesting because we don't have to relate to them. Like you have the case of uh, Jack Sparrow becoming the protagonist in Pirates of the Caribbean 4, which I still love because I would love any Pirates movies regardless <laughs> of how bad it is. But him as, a, him as the protagonist, it doesn't really work because he's always been that throw, throw cares to the wind and they try mm. and humanise him. And the same thing with the bloody Minions. And I haven't seen the Minions film, but I could see that a mile off. It's like you don't take the Minions, they were yeah. great side characters, and then try and make them make a the movie central figures because mm. that's not how those characters function. Mm. So I think that's part of the part of the reason why. But however, having said that, Judy Hopps is awesome. I think because she is so flawed. Well, yes. well, not so flawed. She is flawed and she has to work through that. Yes, journey. she has to work for it. Whereas back in the day with Simba... Um, we we somehow identify with him just because he's that character that has the essence that's going to be he's going to become powerful no, no matter what and that's what must be what we want to think happens to us you can see yourself many flaws as most people do and they look at this character and go he's flawed but he gets he gets the easy run it's, maybe that'll happen to me at some point to the at some point Clinton's I'm going to 90s yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I think that's a good point the 90s I mean this is probably where we can start to landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, in context, sure. Yeah, 1990s were in a much better, um, safer place in some ways, although Heck we yeah. didn't feel like it back then, than we are today. Suddenly we're cynical, we're thinking about real life. Back then in the 90s we're thinking about myths and the savannah, and now we're thinking about the And it was all exotic city. back yes. then, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. And we were willing to go off into these beautiful musical places and be in fantasy space, now we're using fantasy to return to the city and figure out what's going on here. Mm. What's what's behind the the door? What's be, what's what's behind the city that's keeping me down? Sure. Well, I suppose we are, aren't we? Because if you look at the Disney, well, in terms of Disney Animation Studios, Rick and Ralph is in that in a city world, like it's yeah. in a computer, but it's it's very busy and and very full on. Mm. And um, Big Hero 6, Big Hero 6 is yeah. definitely about the city. Inside Out is all about San Francisco and living in a city. Mm. So that kind of urbanised yeah. reality is it's, well, it's interesting. I hadn't even made that connection. Mm. One thing I noticed with The Lion King is it's, um, it's of an era where baddies were always British. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I thought Jeremy Irons was outstanding. Oh, can, and can we talk yeah. more about that? Because Scar is... He makes his, the movie. His voice work is incredible, isn't it? And and somehow <laughs> the animation he is incredible, but the animation is beautifully done just right. for that character. He's so and slinky. With, yes. Yeah, and yes. with his throwaway lines yeah. like when he goes charmed yeah. and then slumps <laughs> down. And it's like there are moments of absolute brilliance where he, he's not acting because he's not there, but it works. The character and the voice work just magnificently. There's that, that scene during uh, Be Prepared where he whips his hair back and be prepared for sensational yeah. news. And, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is so marvellous. Yeah. The villains, though, are always interesting because they have to give them a reason to be villains. Yes. Yeah. And so I always find that more backstory. <laughs> it's like in Batman, the Batman universe, 
all of the villains are far more interesting than Batman yeah. because they have to get, find these reasons to mm. make them do what they're doing yeah. for you to believe it. They can't just be baddies. Mm. And so, yeah, all of the Disney villains are great. Like, I love Ursula and Little yeah. Mermaid as the sea witch. Yeah, and Jafar. 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 Yeah. Gaston's, he's alright, but he's... He's, he's, you know, he, he's fun. He's I, fun. I, I like it, Gaston. And Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Is there maybe a difference, and I know we're not spoiling um, Zootopia... But I felt as though throughout the film, I didn't have a great handle on who the villain, mm. in inverted commas, was, or indeed what villainy was going on. It seemed initially to me to be very much, it was a small, a small movie, if you will, where it was about Judy Hopps and it was her overcoming prejudice against foxes and just sort of trying to fight crime, you know. And obviously the crime itself grew bigger and, and, and as she learned about it, we learned about it and that's great. But it was interesting to me that there was no villain set up at the very beginning. There yeah. was no sort of archetypal Disney witch yes. looking into a, a mirror or a looking glass and, and casting a spell at the beginning so that we sort of knew who are we up against here. Yeah. Lion King, you flip a no straight off the bat. You're like, scene one, um, hello, uh, I'll, be the, I'll be your evil villain for the rest of the film. You know. Absolutely, and the snarky comments and all that. And I don't think necessarily that's good or bad. It didn't occur to me in either viewings of Zootopia that, oh, I don't really know what's going on and mm. I wish I had a handle on it. But I think it's interesting. It's a, it's a recent thing as well. Yeah. If you think about totally. Big Hero 6, <clears throat> same thing. Yeah, Frozen, that's true. same thing. Mm. Wreck-It Ralph, same thing. But yeah, completely. Uh, that was, that was a, a big point for me uh, going into, uh, into Zootopia and knowing, knowing that uh, the directors were from... Uh, so it was... Uh, uh, let's see, from Rick Ralph mm -hmm. and from Tangled, uh, both of which had this this more modern sensibility. Mm. Um, so I went into the movie kind of on the lookout for a secret villain, and to me that kind of ruined part of the the bits that happened in Act Three for me. Like, I I do kind of miss the days when you could have a villain you could you know root against and who was so snidely and, and that you know, knew throughout the film yeah. where your allegiance lay sort oh, of thing. Oh, for sure. Right. And I do agree that this is it feels very much in context of <clears throat> of where we are as a society. You know, post nine eleven, post all of that stuff that happened in the early two thousands, where everyone is much more paranoid. There's and this idea that the people at the top might not know what they're doing or might mm -hmm. be fooling or deluding the, mm -hmm. the populace and all of these movies like draw on that whereas back in the you know good old 90s very very clear cut yeah but I, I also think that it's I think what you just said then is absolutely right I think mm -hmm. it's part of that discussion but I also think people are a little bit more sophisticated with their villains that, that sure there's a fun in, there's a fun in knowing who the villain is but it's more fun probably not to. Well, but I also think people aren't inherently bad. This is personal, obviously going to get out of philosophical views, mm. but generally we're a lot more aware of diversity in this day and age and that people that are just different or seem like they are bad when really actually something's going on behind Wait, do you mean to... not all predators will hurt you and not all prey are good? I learned Jeremy. something. I wow. learned something from Zootopia. Yeah. <laughs> don't <laughs> don't reach you for that fox prey. But I think we've, we've moved beyond melodrama and that we just, we can accept the idea that, oh, that person's the villain and they're bad because they're just, yes. people are bad. Well, the most mm. obvious showing of that and the parallel between the two films is that the big bad guy is a lion, obviously, <clears throat> in, in Lion King. And then the big bad guy, or so-called big bad guy in Zootopia, is a lion. But it turns out it's not the lion, which is fantastic, you know, just like directly, symbolically cutting off that, that shoot. Mm. Um, 
but the the plot structure shows these things that we're talking about that it, that you start off thinking that the fox is the bad guy and then it kind of cuts that out no that was wrong or maybe it's the lion no it's not him and then it kind of does move on from there as well but that's kind of that's that 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 plot represents somehow the fact that we're constantly being diverted I think now and we don't know really quite where to look for our You mean in real life? Yeah. I agree. I think so for, I our, agree. for our bad guy I think philosophically you're right, Jeremy, that it's a better, more philosophically true that, that there, are no, there aren't these bad people that, we're, that control our lives or orchestrate us and do these negative things. But at the same time, for stories, it's so challenging if you don't have a clear-cut bad guy. You look at Lion King, hyenas are bad. Yes. Hyenas yeah. are well, bad. No, they laugh they are, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's what I know. Essentially bad as well, just yeah, purely bad. Yeah, that is purely bad, yeah. whereas that's completely different to... <laughs> Zootopia. Yeah. In fact, I wonder if Lion King could be a film in the universe of Zootopia that they go and watch. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love some of the smaller messages in um, Zootopia, like when Judy Hopps arrives at the front desk in the police station and, and uh, that, that lovely leopard creature says, oh, you're so cute. And she says, actually, it's inappropriate for yes. bunnies who aren't, yes. for people who aren't bunnies. Shouldn't use the word people, obviously, but you know, for pe- those who aren't bunnies, to s- use the word cute. It's all right for us to call ourselves yeah. cute, and it's. J- I thought that was just genius. And then uh, a little later on, small spoiler, but not that bad, where he says, um, "That lovely leopard says, oh, because I'm a predator, it's deemed inappropriate for me to be the the first face that people see when they come into the yeah. organization." And some of that stuff really yeah. Yeah. hit, actually. Yeah. yeah, for me, it was all the biology stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You're born this way. You're born this way. way. There's something in biology that makes you more aggressive. Absolutely. I mean, mean, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that it feeds into that whole discussion around people of certain races being more tribal or more... The warrior gene. The warrior gene rubbish. And going savage. Like like (laughs) these people could... This kind of idea that people were like that. that, 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 that That they can be set off and become violent beings and some people are violent and some people aren't. Yeah. It's and that, that links back into the whole idea of savages, you know, going savage and, and, and yeah. you know, the colonial yes. referring mm. to, to people. Indigenous people. Indigenous people yeah. savages. It is. It's so insidious, isn't it? Which is why Zootopia was just absolutely bloody well, marvellous. That's why I think it is. It's probably the most important film. I, I mean, I want to say since Django Unchained, but I don't think it was as important to people as it was to me. Um, what, Django? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I can't think of a film that is talking to a very real issue in such a such a well packaged way. To go back to what you're saying, Max, it's really impressive. So accessible way. Yeah, and it's a lot more liberal and a lot less controversial than Django. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't even mean R eighteen. I mean R eighteen ratings aside. But do you know what right. I mean? There was this. Obviously, he had controversy around. Uh, who was allowed to use the N-word and blah, blah, blah. Whereas I don't really think any right-minded individual is going to come away from Zootopia and say, well, technically, that was actually a little bit unfair yes. towards prey yeah. or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm really, really glad that um, there wasn't a conservative backlash towards mm. Zootopia. Like, mm. oh, this is just, it's liberal indoctrination. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it didn't really seem to happen. It's too complicated, I think, in some ways. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not, obviously the message is right in your face, but the plot weaves its way around so that it's kind of, I don't know, just worked in really nicely. Yeah. There you go. Thanks for listening to our discussion about Zootopia and the Lion King. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check us out in about a month's time where we look at another two movies, one current film and one retrospective, with some kind of connection in between, as we discuss cinema in context. Ka kite anō.